Well, it's uh, again great to be with you during uh, this uh, series. We're in, the, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, in the third week of of Peeled, and what we've been, uh, what we're gonna do, what we've been doing is that verse that you saw at the very end of the video. Uh, Paul wrote those words in Galatians chapter five, and we're just week by week taking some of these fruit that Paul writes about these actions or attitudes that the Holy Spirit can work in us and work through us. We're taking them and we're looking at them, and that's why it's called peeled. Uh, you might remember from week one, I brought in a watermelon and, and I, I lamented about how hard it is, at least for me, to find a good watermelon. It's such, you know, flip a coin type of ordeal. Once you uh, dig into it, it's it could be good, it could be bad, you just you pray that it's a good one, and uh, the, that the solution is you only really know what the fruit is all about if you can look under the peel. And that's what we're doing, that's why it's called peel. We're, we're taking a look at these fruit, we're digging in a little bit, we're looking under the peel, what does it really mean, what, it's, what is, are these really all about, and how can they be blessings to our lives, our goal is that at the end of the series that we might have more good fruit in our lives than we did before? Not because we're, we've got a to-do list now, but because God is working through us and, and that Jesus is, is encouraging and strengthening us as we stay in step with the Spirit. By the way, um, you know that watermelon I brought um, week one? Of course, I'm not just going to throw it away, so brought it home to eat. I just wanted to let you know, under the peel is like the best watermelon that I've ever picked. We ate it all, and I'm thinking, I don't believe in signs, but if I did, that's a sign. This is a good series, okay, that had a good watermelon. Well, we just sang a song that I would say is pretty heavy, huh? Kind of the opposite of joy, feeling worn. And the reality is that most of us, if not all of us, I would say all of us to one extent or another, are looking for some happiness, and we feel on many days more like the song than we do the fruit on many days, all right? And so, as I was thinking, how does the world address feeling worn? I thought I'd get you sort of thinking by showing you a little clip of a song that I'm sure you have seen before if you're on the internet at all. This isn't religious, but here's a way to to be happy, Kurt.
I mean, that's they got to be just for the video. You know, they're not really that happy all dancing around. But this, this uh, song has been one of the most popular songs in our world, not just the United States, in the world over the last six months. And, and I can understand why, because everyone wants to be happy. You just watch that. I saw some of you kind of moving your shoulders a little bit. That's okay. You know, I didn't see anyone get up to dance. I would have been fine with it. Um, but... We're all looking for a little bit of happiness and lyrics like that or a song like that or seeing people dancing can give us just a, a little bit of, of happiness. We're a country that's searching for happiness. You know, the, the, the fast food meal that kids get is called the Happy Meal, right? And then some of you grew up with the TV show called Happy Days, yeah? And then there's a, an older song than this one called Happy Trails or at least something like that. And, uh, you know, a comedian not so long ago in a movie had uh, encouraged us to find our, our happy place, you know. And, and yet at the same time, while we're trying as a country to be happy, um, statistics, and you, how can you really rank these things? But statistics would show that people are less happy than ever before. A um, couple clues to why they come to that. Um, the use of antidepressants is at an all-time high. Um, addictive behavior, addiction, whether that be uh, to anything. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be food, it could be workaholism, it could be addiction just to the internet in general. Addictions are at an all-time high, and addictions come from people trying to find happiness in things, and they still get so fixated on this thing that they hope, they think, might bring them a little more happiness. And, and you know, I, I'm not saying that the search for happiness is an easy thing. I mean, there are so many factors that work against us. At the same time as we're trying to find happiness, we live in a consumer culture where all of the businesses that, are, you know, that they sell things are all trying to convince you that you need their product in order to be happy. You need their gadget, their gizmo, whatever, in order to be happy. So we're fighting against this. Our Declaration of Independence says, here's three things we'll guarantee you. We'll guarantee you life, we'll guarantee you liberty, and we'll guarantee you happy. No. What is it? The pursuit, the search. And people are searching, pursuing, all of us. And I think that's just the truth. And it's varying degrees, but our first fill-in I know it's in varying degrees. Some of you are happier than others, but we're all in one way or another in search of finding happiness. That, uh, there's that colored insert in your service folder. I can't say gold anymore, at least not this week. Um, but that colored insert, our first fill-in, we're all in search of finding happiness. And so our ears perk up when God says there's a fruit of the Spirit called joy. I want some of that. How do I get more of that. And there's going to be a couple things that you need to know right off the bat. The first thing is that as a Christian, as someone who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, some of you who are guests, I don't know, maybe that's something you're still searching about. But when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God promises that you can have joy all the time. Let me say that again. As a Christian who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you can have joy 
all the time. But, you knew that was coming, but the world's definition of happiness is a little bit different than God's definition of joy. So in order to figure out and understand better what God's definition of joy is, um, we're going to turn to a section of the Bible in the Old Testament. And we're going to focus in on an event that happened in the life of probably the most famous king in the Old Testament. His name was David. Now, David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. He was the king of Israel, which was the place where the Jews um, lived, uh, the, the promised land. And when David came on as king, this is about the time in our text when that happened, um, the nation of Israel had really wandered away from a focus on God. This isn't something that just happened once in their country's history. It happened a lot. But this is one of those times under King Saul, who was before him, they really wandered, lost focus on God, lost focus on, on what God meant to their daily lives. And one of the ways this became obvious was that the place that people would worship God at the time was called the tabernacle. And the people of Israel did not take care of it at all. In fact, there was some special furniture that God had sort of ordained to be in the tabernacle, and it had, was spread all over the place. People didn't know necessarily where it was. They had neglected the tabernacle, a sign that they had neglected God. And one of the pieces of furniture, I use that term loosely, in the tabernacle was supposed to be there was, maybe you've heard about this item before, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And, and the Ark of the Covenant, I've got a, a picture up here of a, an artist's rendition. The Ark of the Covenant was basically a gold box, four feet long by two feet high and two feet wide, as it shows with statues of angels on the top of it. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. Um, a jar of manna. Manna was that special food that God provided Israel with uh, during the 40 years in the desert. So there's a jar of manna. There was a staff from one of Israel's leaders named Aaron. And then there was an original copy, or the original copy, of the Ten Commandments. But even more important than what was in the Ark of the Covenant... More important than that is what it represented. You see, just like now, even back then, God was not confined to a single space, okay? God is everywhere. He can be here with us. He can be with Christians on the other side of the world, okay? God is everywhere, but in the Old Testament, God said, okay, wherever the Ark of the Covenant is, there I will be in a very special way. In fact, if, if people would just go ahead and just touch the Ark of the Covenant, because it had a special presence of God, uh, people would die. Because it was such a special presence of a holy God, okay? And so the way that people treated the Ark of the Covenant showed how they treated God. The way people respected this box, which was much more than a box, showed how people respected and honored God. Do you know where the Ark of the Covenant was when David came into rule? It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't in the tabernacle. It wasn't in a place of honor. It was about 10 miles from Jerusalem. 
in a little small town in the home of some random guy named Abinadab. You can just imagine, you know, it's kind of in his garage. They didn't have garages back then, but it's in his garage. There's sheets over it. It's just stuck in a home, out of the way, neglected, much like God had been. And so one of David's first sort of tasks as king was to make sure that God's people, to help God's people repent and to also bring God as to back to a focus in their lives and in their nation's, um, their nation's lives. And so part of that, one of the things they did was they needed to get the ark out of Abinadab's garage, all right, and to move it back to Jerusalem and into the tabernacle. And that's where we're going to, to pick it up. We're going to pick it up here in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and they are going to be moving the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 12, so David went down and brought up the Ark of David from the house. So it went from the house of Abinadab, then it spent like a week in the home of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that is Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So they got the ark, took six steps, stopped, and had a bunch of sacrifices and offerings. I mean, that, if they did that every six steps, it'd be a long ways to Jerusalem. They just did it the first six steps out of joy, out of honor. This is an awesome day. Then David, wearing a linen ephod, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Basically, it was something that guys would wear under their normal clothes. Um, don't think underwear. It went from your, your, your neck down to past your, your knees. So it was like a clothes underneath your clothes. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord. So David's dancing, all right? Their shouts, like... Not like, ah, but like joyful shouts. There's joy going on. And also music, the sound of the trumpets. So the ark's coming. There's just joy everywhere. Verse 16. So the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, and Michael, daughter of Saul, also wife of David, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. We're going to get back to that in a couple minutes. They, the people, brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And there's more joy stuff going on. David sacrificed more burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Verse 18. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he then blessed the people, a joyful thing, in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a special, special food. He gave a loaf of bread cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. They're sacrificing, there's dancing, there's food being shared, there's shouting, there's trumpets, there's singing, there's songs, all to commemorate the bringing of the ark, the presence of God. What, I mean, as I was thinking through scripture, I couldn't think of a day that would have been more joyful than that for the people of Israel. Joy everywhere. 
Then you have Michael, David's wife, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How today the king, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Um, probably needs a little bit of explanation as to what exactly was going on here. Um, what, I, what I want you to know is that David, in this disrobing and letting his linen ephod showing, is not like you know, some guy at the beach wearing you know, a Speedo or something. Um, it wasn't risque. It wasn't you know, too revealing type of a thing that, that Michael was all upset about. It, what it was and why she was upset is because it wasn't kingly. That David, instead of being more concerned about how he looked to the people as being proud and righteous and the king needing of honor and respect, he let his hair down, so to speak. He took his kingly robe off. He let people see that when it came to the Lord, the Lord was bigger than him. God and what God has done for him was bigger than his respect, David's respect, than David's honor. And he was willing to let people see him in his linen ephod and to dance and to sing and to dance joyfully. Why? Well, David explains it a little bit more, verse 21, as we kind of get to a big point that I want us to take home today when it comes to joy. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. I'm going to fill in because there's, there's a phrase in there. It was before the Lord that I danced. It's in the presence of the Lord that I was joyful. It's before the Lord, the one who chose me, Rather than your father, he didn't choose me. That would be Saul or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. It's before the Lord in his presence that I celebrate, that I'm joyful, that I dance before the Lord. You know what, Michael? I'm willing. I will become even more undignified than this. I don't care about my kingliness. I care about my joy in the Lord. And, and I'm willing to be humiliated even more. I will be humiliated in my own eyes because being in the presence of the Lord trumps me, trumps my respect, my honor. And, and our second fill-in here is that David finds joy in what? Not the ark, not a box, but he finds joy in being in the presence of God. See, in order for us to understand joy, we need to understand the difference between happiness and joy. In order to understand the spiritual fruit that God wants you, us to have, we need to understand there is a difference between the dancing that David had in 2 Samuel 6, and the dancing you saw in Pharrell Williams' happy video. There's a difference between happiness and joy. 
What's the difference? Well, for one thing, happiness, the way we're talking about it this morning, is based entirely on the circumstances of life. And so, when circumstances change, happiness goes away. When circumstances of life, earthly circumstances, aren't the way we want them, happiness goes away. So happiness is temporal, it doesn't last, and it fades easily. You may have felt a little bit happy when you saw that video earlier. Still feeling that way? From the video? I bet even from that video, it's gone already. Happiness in the moment. But it flees. It doesn't stay. Um, so we need to have a, a picture of what so often what happiness is going to look like. And so we set out all of these parameters and circumstances that need to be fulfilled before we can be happy. Makes me uh, think about uh, a lady about, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. She was a, a runner for NC State, and uh, she was a long distance runner. She had just set the record for NCAA for the 10,000 meter run, and then seven weeks later, she was running for the NCAA championship in Indiana. And she had certain circumstances, or certain, I guess, parameters around how she would be happy uh, about this race. Not only did she need to win it to be happy, but she needed to meet a certain time, beat her record. And so about 6,500 meters into the race, um, she and two other women are way ahead of the rest of the pack. And so she has a good chance of winning the race, but, but that wasn't the only circumstance that she needed in order to be happy. She also needed to meet her record time, and she was way off pace. And as they were running this course through the streets uh, in, in Indiana, um, when no one was looking, it's a true story, she ran off the course, ran to a bridge, and jumped off. Now, got your attention. This is an extreme example, I, I know. But I wanted to catch your attention because even to a lesser degree, that when certain circumstances that we put out for our life don't happen, it's so easy for us to not be happy. What are some things for us? I mean, we're all guilty of it. You know, problem is that not all of us are going to, to win the 10,000 meter race. Not all of us are, are going to be king of Israel. When it comes to the circumstances of life, um, not all of us are going to play in the NBA or be a famous singer or get the scholarship that we wanted. Not all of us are going to find the perfect person to s spend the rest of our lives with. In fact, I would I would say that none of us have found a perfect person to spend the rest of our lives with. Um, not all of us are going to have kids. Not all of us are, are going to find the perfect job or live in the perfect neighborhood. Not all of us are, are going to have perfect health or have or look the way that we'd like to. 
Not all of us are going to have loved ones that live into old age. Not all of us are going to live into old age. Life has its disappointments, right? And not all the, the trying can change that. Not all the crying can sometimes change that. Not all the planning or praying will change all of that. So what has God promised you? Happiness all the time? Do you know that that's not one of the fruit of the Spirit? Happiness? Um, I've been a pastor now for about 11 years, and, and so I've had a chance to, to speak to a lot of different people. And one of the things that sometimes I hear when talking with people and when they like to try to convince themselves that they uh, are okay to do something that they kind of know they shouldn't, it is th this. They, they'll say, um, but God wants me to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And, you know, in my earlier years, I, I wouldn't really come back, but I've gotten braver and meaner. And uh, so what I'll, what I'll say now is, is I'll come back and I'll say, really? Show me that passage. Show me the passage where it says God wants me to be happy all the time. Because I can show you some passages. I can show you some, some passages where, where Jesus is very clear that the way of being a Christian, the way of God has more difficulties than the way of the world. It's narrow versus wide. I can show you a passage that says that Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must, you know, take up your cross to follow me. I can show passages that say, or where Jesus was in the upper room and he told his disciples, you know, um, just, just before he died, he said, in this world... You're going to be happy all the time. No. He said, in this world, in this life, you're going to have trouble. And so God doesn't promise 24-7, 365 happiness. And it's not that he doesn't love us, okay? It's because there's sin in our world that's messed up the perfect world that he had created. And so I think when it comes to happiness, our next fill-in, we've got to understand that happiness is based on circumstances. And you need to understand that God loves you, but he may not fulfill all of your happiness circumstances. That is not guaranteed. Happiness, in the way we've described it, is not guaranteed. But although God doesn't promise happiness, here's the good news. He has promised you joy and joy that you can have all of the time. Happiness isn't a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is. Happiness is based on circumstances. You know what joy does? It permeates all circumstances. Happiness is found in the circumstances of life. Joy is what happens when David realizes that the presence of God is back where it needs to be, and I'm willing to take off my kingly robe and dance. I don't care what you think, Michael, and I don't care what the, the people think, because I have joy in the Lord. Joy comes with knowing that we have God and a relationship with him. And I think to better understand how this joy can permeate all things, because some of us are still struggling with this. I know Jesus is my Savior, but this still is difficult. Um, let, me, let me weed it out a little bit. 
I want you to imagine that you have a conversation with God. God comes down uh, and he has a conversation with you. And he says, hey, um, I've been watching you. And, and I, I've noticed that you're not um, very happy. So you know that I love you, I hope. I'm going to show you that I love you. And, and I'm going to let you pick whatever it is. I'm going to give you whatever you want in order for you to be happy. Because I love you. Anything you want, just pick it. You want a car, you can pick the make and model and the year. You want a home, pick the square footage, where you want the kitchen, pick the neighborhood, I'll give it to you. You want a, a perfect job, a good job, you want to play in the NBA, you know what, I can make that happen. I'm God, I can make you grow, I can make you do whatever. You want to have kids, tell me how many. You want to find that perfect spouse, well, I can't give you the perfect one here on this earth, but I'll find you a spouse. You want a long life? Is that what's going to make you happy? Tell me how many years you want to live. Now, this is still God speaking. Just remember, all those things that you think are going to make you happy, they all have a shelf life. They all have an expiration date. None of them are going to last forever, but I, God, have something else. You can pick one thing. Instead of blessing you for 80 to 90 years or whatever it is, I have something that you could choose that will give you joy for billions and billions and billions of years. One thing. I can give you that thing, something, heaven, forgiveness, a relationship with me that lasts forever. What do you want to pick? A new car? Because that, I need it to make me, come on. A better house? And is it wrong to want a better house? No, no. Do you, in order to get happiness, that's what's going to do it. Anyone ever have a new house? You always happy all the time? Really? A house? Really? Come on. We know those things don't bring lasting happiness, and yet we find ourselves not being able to be happy until certain circumstances are met. So instead of that, why don't we build a foundation? Or instead, Jesus Christ has built that foundation. He has given us the foundation that we can have joy all the time because of his death and resurrection. You know where you're going. You know that you are going to be able to be like David was on that day in Jerusalem in the special presence of God, even better than that, for the rest of your lives. And I'll tell you, when you get the foundation of joy set and renewed and strengthened, you know what else happens? Guess what you also are more of? Happy. It lasts longer. More joy means more happy. The foundation of joy in place means that we also will be happy. We won't be happy all the time, but more. Our last fill-in. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is found or based on Jesus and what he's done for us. And that, my friends, can be ours all the time be all ours all the time. And we've been talking about the search for happiness today and, 
And as we wrap up today, I, I just want to close with a, a little illustration. And some of you have maybe heard this before, um, but it's so apropos to this circular chasing that we tend to have, that I need to have this happen before I'm happy, and this happen before, my, before I'm happy. And, and so I, want, I just want to close with this little illustration. There was a, a wealthy fisherman tycoon who, um, was, uh, who lived in Miami, and he went down um, near the pier by his big fleet of fishing boats, and he saw uh, just a normal, regular fisherman, you know, owned one boat. He was the owner and the only employee, and uh, he was sitting down, kind of basking in the glow of the, the Florida sun, just enjoying life. And the big, wealthy fisherman said, hey, um, why aren't you out there fishing? And the, the one-person fisherman crew uh, business owner said, well, I've caught all the fish that I need for today. And, you know, this, this wealthy guy who was driven and, and just, you know, had lots of wealth, he kind of looked at him funny and said, well, why don't you catch more and then you can make money? And then you can, you can buy a bigger fisher boat and, and you can go deeper and catch more fish and you can buy a whole fleet of boats and then you can have even more fish and you can be rich and wealthy and have lots of money and, and the, the, the lowly fishermen well, and then what am I going to do with all that money? And the wealthy fisherman said, well, what you can do is you can then, with all that money, you can just sit down next to the ocean, enjoy the sun, and be happy. <laughs> Some of you already caught it. The single fisherman said, yeah, happy like I am right now, huh? All that work to have what he already did have because it wasn't about how many fish or how much money. It was foundational. Now, this story isn't to say, hey, go be lazy, all right? That's not the point. The point is the foundation that we can have, and all the circular racing around for happiness will never really bring it. Unless first, there is the joy that we have, like David in the presence of God, and that we can have by renewing our focus on Christ every single day and remembering we are his and will be for eternity. And then maybe, just maybe, the search, the search can end. Let's pray.